Hello and welcome back to the Interrogating Latinidad podcast. I'm Rachel. I'm Camila. And today we're going to be talking all about um, gender in the Latinx community. But we're going to take this episode to center more around our own experiences with machismo, thinking about the way the gender binary is presented in Latin America and we're going to take and Latin American communities in the United States. And we're going to take another episode to talk about the con- social construction of gender in um, Latinx communities in general and kind of break down the binary. Yeah, cool. <laughs> so um, I guess we can start by just kind of laying out right like how how have we been (laughs) dealing with it's just a lot yeah how have we dealt with machismo in general um Mm -hmm. how has gender played a role um i will definitely say we could also focus on like how it played a role in our education Mm. um and how we made it here and how has that impacted a little bit definitely Um, for sure. So I, I'm going to start by saying I did not live with my father um, from when I was five until I was 15. And my dad and my mom were still married. However, my father moved to the U.S. and my mom was still in Brazil living with me. And when I moved here when I was 15, there was a big, big power dynamic like between him and I because I was a teenager I felt um very entitled but also I had been given a lot of freedom from my mother um since she was a single mom and she was working when we lived in Brazil um I was given a lot of freedom I could do mostly everything that I wanted I didn't really have a curfew she always had this like policy of here are the consequences of your actions and now you get to choose kind of like what you do with your life. Um, I will be here for you. However, you're the one going to be suffering the consequences. So you're going to kind of have to deal with that. My dad has a very different approach. Um, He was raised during the dictatorship in Brazil and his father was actually in the military Mm. during the dictatorship. So that was an interesting dynamic. Um, he often talks to me about how he didn't get any affection from his father, um, which is not something I can complain. He's a very affectionate dad. However, he's very sexist. <laughs> Machismo all over. Um, and I think that like the whole going out and being independent and like having lived with me when I was five and now I'm 15 and I'm doing all these things by myself, they definitely took a toll on our relationship. Um, because he felt the need to control the things that I was doing and to make the decisions for me or not allow me to make decisions. And as a rebellious teenager, (laughs) I did not like that, especially because I think it was like, at the time I didn't realize, but it was coming from a male figure and all of a sudden there's this dude telling me what to do. Mm -hmm. And this dude has never told me what to do before. So I always took things from my mom, and I understand that she was the one that raised me, but also think that, like, as a mother figure, as a woman, like, I think I just took her input a little bit better. Mm. Um, And then, you know, I can go all over the place, but (laughs) physical violence is also a big thing because, like, 
we normalize beating our kids. <laughs> yeah. Right? And then it's like when you really think about it, if someone told you that a 40 year old guy was hitting a 15 year old girl, mm. you'd be horrified, say, oh my God, this could never happen. But because yeah. he's her dad, all of a sudden now it's okay and he mm-hmm. has control and power to do that. So that's also something I did not accept. Um, so that didn't go very well. <laughs> But let, let, let's end there so I don't <laughs> keep telling everybody my whole entire life. <laughs> yeah. I think thinking about gender growing up, it's really interesting because I'm one of three girls and my mom is also one of three girls. So a lot of times when I talk with my friends, they compare their own experiences um, to their brother's experiences, you know, of that like lack of freedom and being expected to do all the housework and help out and things like that but for me that's not really a reference point I have um because you know there were just it's I've always been surrounded by girls and women so I'm not I always think like I have no idea what my life would have been like if I had brothers you know like we were always very expected growing up to be you know cleaning and helping out and doing things like that but like who's to say you know if if I had brothers would they have been expected to do the same thing would they not I can say that my dad is not held to those standards you know by my mother but again mm. maybe it's an age thing who knows <laughs> who knows um but yeah so I think growing up um there wasn't really that reference point to be like this person is allowed to do this and I'm not but I think I saw a reference point with my other female friends whose mother's grew up in the United States um, and didn't, you know, come from a Latin American background. Like, I remember the battle I had with my mother about wearing shorts. Um, (laughs) It was one that I fought very hard Mm. about. I remember it was, like, elementary school and it started getting hot out and all the girls would come in there, like, you know, not, like, ridiculously short shorts, but they were wearing their short shorts because it was hot out. And I think we were young. We we're less than, I don't know, we're like, how old are you in elementary school? You're young, six, elementary, seven, yeah. eight. So, Until eight. Yeah, we, we were young, so it shouldn't have been an issue of how long your shorts are because you shouldn't be getting sexualized at that age. Right. But my... Ideally. <laughs> ideally, in an ideal world. <laughs> but my mom bought me, like, jean shorts because all the other girls were wearing jean shorts, but the ones she got me were past my knees. And I was like... This is not cute. I can't do this. (laughs) Um, But I think it was like a lot of and like wearing tank tops and it was took it was a very long battle to let her let me kind of dress like the other girls in school, you know, because that's I wanted to fit in. Um, And for her, that was like a pretty huge culture shock. And it was definitely very difficult for her to move down that path of me taking more agency with the way I dressed. even now, when I go out, she always comments on the ways that I dress myself and tells me I'm never going to find a man when I dress like the way I do because I don't look respectable and, mm. you know, I look a certain way, which I think um, is very frustrating. Just, you know, this tension of growing up, my body was different than the girls I went to school with. I didn't have that very, very skinny, very just small build like yeah I'm very short but I also have curves and um I had a really really hard time accepting myself in relation to other people so I spent a long time being very uncomfortable in my body and not really 
wanting to wear any type of clothes that showed what I look like to working really hard to get that confidence and break away from those very Eurocentric beauty standards and find confidence in myself. Mm-hmm. And part of that is asserting myself in the way I dress and, and showing that confidence. Um, but that tension of you need to dress in a respectable manner, you need to be completely covered, you can't be wearing like tight clothes or this and that, I think has always been a very <laughs> big tension um especially just the way that she grew up and kind of you know i know we're going to talk about this eventually but the hypersexualization mm-hmm. that latinas experience um comes up a lot in in the way i think about myself and the way that i interact with others yeah for sure i think a couple of things i also am one of two sisters mm. so i do not have brothers to compare myself to which is yeah. interesting because similarly i have friends who do and the chores always mm-hmm. comes up yeah um it's always like a big thing where i'm the girl and i always had to do the chores and my brother all he had to do was take out the trash yeah like if yeah, that exactly right um And I think that even if we're going across borders when I'm in Brazil, this is a similar conversation that I'm having with people. So it's pretty, (laughs) like, spread. Even, like, the way we sit at the dinner table, like, when I'm with my abuelos, like, my grandparents, like, the women sit on the side of the table closer to the kitchen because we're the ones going back and forth in the kitchen. To grab food, to bring everything out to everyone, things like that, versus, you know men sitting on there's no need for them to be sitting right next to the kitchen because they're not constantly going back and forth they just sit and wait for things to be brought to them exactly and i think there's also like a lot of pressure and i don't know if you've experienced this at all but in my family in general there's a lot of pressure uh of being able to cook like Mm. knowing how to cook do you know how to cook what can you make Mm -hmm. is what you're cooking any good right and i think that like I don't have brothers, but I have male cousins that are my age. I actually have a male cousin who's three months younger than me. Mm -hmm. Three months. That's like nothing. Nothing, yeah. And he's not expected to go to the kitchen and help out. Like, he's not expected to do any of the cooking. Um, I'm expected to go into the kitchen. I'm expected to help out. I also just really hate, as much as it's a joke, I hate it when they're like, oh, this is really good. Did you make it? Yes, I made it. Oh, okay, so you're ready to get married. Mm. Excuse me, ma'am? No, thank exactly. you. And I think it's so interesting because among a lot of like my other Latina friends and also um, like South Asian friends as well, us coming to college and not really knowing how to cook, not because we didn't want to learn, but like as an act of resistance, we we're like, I'm not going to learn how to cook because I don't want to fall into these gender roles. And then we're like, well, okay, now I actually need to learn how to cook <laughs> because I'm in college and I need to take care of myself. Yeah. But I think it's really interesting the life skills we like build up a resistance against mm-hmm. because like we're told like this is something you need to do. This is how you're going to be a good wife. Like this is really important for your future. But I feel like if it was framed like when you live on your own, how are you going to take care of yourself versus right. how are you going to take care of someone else? Maybe mm-hmm. I would have you know, been a little less resistant to actually pay attention when I was helping my mom in the kitchen and yeah. know what I was doing. <laughs> For sure. And I think, like, I, I have a similar experience, but I also, going beyond that, my mother didn't cook when I was mm. growing up. Because in Brazil, it was really common, another gendered thing, <laughs> to have people working in your house that mm. cooked and cleaned, and those were never men. 
the people who yeah. service are always women, right? Mm. So we had, I don't even like the term maid because I also make classes thing, but I think it makes me seem like I was rich in Brazil and I was not. Mm-hmm. Like definitely not. Middle class, pretty standard. Mm-hmm. Lucky enough to have a father living in the United States who would like send me things and mm-hmm. money once in a while. Um, but we had someone working at our house. Of course, it was always a, a woman also gonna bring race into this she was definitely black and she like I remember most of the people that had worked at my house and they were all if not self-identified as black definitely darker skinned Mm -hmm. um for sure and that's another big thing that I could go on for hours but my mom never cooked and my mom was someone who I looked up to a lot because it was the only person really that I had um, in the house all the time. So to me, if she didn't know how to cook and she was fine and she was a dentist, you know, mm-hmm. she went to college, she did it all. Yeah. I looked up to her a lot and I was like, I can do it all without <laughs> knowing how to cook. And then yeah. I was in college and I rented an apartment and I was like, how am I supposed to eat lunch? What do I bring yeah. for lunch to the school if I now don't have a meal plan anymore? Mm. I'm living off campus. Like, what am I supposed to do? Yeah. <laughs> I learned how to cook in college when I was living on my own because it was just really hard. Yeah. And I realized that it was just a skill I needed to have for my personal gain, like you were saying. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the time, I dated someone And it was really interesting because I remember one of the first interactions, I was like, do you even know how to cook? Was like one of the first things I said to him as if like nothing would have happened between us if he did not know how to cook. And I was trying to impose that on him even though I didn't know how to cook at the time. So it was really funny. funny. (laughs) But he did know, which was interesting. And like one of our first dates was like he cooked me breakfast and I was impressed and I was like okay now I think I need to get my shit together (laughs) learn how to cook not because of him but because like yeah I need to be able to make some food you know um but that was like an interesting relationship with like the kitchen itself it was just weird and I think food just plays such a huge role in like Latin cultures, you know, like centering around spending time together, the types of food. And I think for me growing up, food was always just like something very central to the way I t- think about family. Also, because um, my aunt, like who I'm very, very close with, she's and also like lives with my grandparents. So like when I see them, I always see them all together. She's a, like um, has her own catering business. So she like makes food for other people. Um, so just like helping out in the kitchen, helping out with deliveries, things like that, which it's just so ingrained into the ways I think about family Mm -hmm. and fitting in with the family, you know, like all of the women in the kitchen talking to each other, you know, sharing stories, just kind of like that as a sense of community. And I think that's really interesting of it's a side of community, but also a side of resistance where Mm -hmm. I find love and support in that space but I also don't want to be confined to that space Mm -hmm. which is really interesting because um well I don't really have that reference point anymore because I don't have really any white friends in college but in high school like that there was definitely a really huge disconnect when it came to talking about family and food and and womanhood in general where it really wasn't centered around um that type of community and connection and, and following, I don't know, specific gender roles. Not that white women don't experience gender roles, but I think it, 
at least for them, it was presented in a very different way in their families where they didn't really think about it as anything related to like providing food or doing chores or things like that, which I think also brings in a class analysis where a lot of um, the friends I had in high school, a handful of them were, were very wealthy and they would like order in food every night and things oh like God. that, which is like... <laughs> my mom cringes yeah. at the idea of ordering foods. Like, how dare you yeah. ask someone else to cook for you? <laughs> yeah, so I think it's just really interesting of, you know, the, the sites where these tensions over gender and community take place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's funny because my mom has been opposed to takeout for so long, mm-hmm. like for so long. And then I think back and I'm Same. like, but you never cooked. <laughs> like, you had someone, you know, it, yeah. it was someone else doing the cooking at our house. And yes, my grandma's food was amazing. Mm-hmm. Man, do I miss that lady's <laughs> cooking. But I also remember my mom knew how to make one dish. That's the one dish I remember her making. Oh it was pasta with shrimp and broccoli. <laughs> and I'm like, now that I know how to make it, I'm like, there could not have been an easier dish for you to know how to make. <laughs> you throw everything in the water. You throw the, yeah. the shrimp and the broccoli in the fryer. It's real quick. Done. Exactly. So I don't know why she's so opposed to takeout, but <laughs> she is. Yeah. And I, I see that disconnect with between me and my white friends as well, for sure. That like food is what brings us together, right? Mm-hmm. Even like aside from I think as specifically in womanhood, but aside from aside from womanhood, I think in my family in general, like we are always united over food. Like mm. if there's ever an event, yeah. food is the most important thing. Like, always. Who's taking care of the food? Yeah. Right. And if it's ever, which is interesting, because if it's ever a barbecue, mm. the, men the men are in the barbecue. The men. Because I think also in Argentina especially, like, meat is just, like, huge. huge. Like, steak. And, like, my abuelo has, like, the the barbecue thing that has all the, like, levels and, like, the yep. big thing. And it's, like, it's pride and joy. And I think it's really interesting of something that's so central to the culture and something that's seen as having so much power you know and it's iconic that becomes masculine becomes masculine which i think is very interesting and i think like i don't know even when i think about going back to thinking about food i remember once it was one summer where like my mom's dad my willow was in the hospital so like it was a really rough summer because he was there for an extended period of time Mm -hmm. but so my mom would be visiting him all day my dad and i were both working and I would I was babysitting, so I'd get home from babysitting around like eight, and he'd get home from work around like six thirty. But I was expected to cook dinner, mm. so I was like, he's home for like an hour and a half before I get home, but he's like, I'm the one that's supposed to cook. Like, how does that make sense? What? Like, there's the, what it. There's no, and also again, I never really paid attention to how to cook, there you so go. I would come home. From babysitting all day, be so stressed of like, I need to put something together. Like, what is going on? And I think it got easier afterwards because like thinking about just communities of care, like close friends gave us like gift cards to different restaurants because, you know, my mom was gone all day. And of course, not going to expect my dad to know how to cook um, (laughs) to like so we could get food. But I think it's just really interesting of women are always expected to pick up yeah pick up the slack of course and like i know for sure my dad has never had responsibilities 
regarding like chores around the house mm. other than taking out the trash like i said like it's the yeah. most common like it's manly because you, know, you have to be strong tra- to pick up the trash <laughs> are you serious i'm like i take out it the trash takes three minutes for you to take <laughs> out the trash do you know how long i'm washing the dishes after dinner mm. like do you yeah. know how long i'm sweeping this floor mopping this floor yeah taking nope. out dust oh like, my god so different so different it's and I think it's just so interesting when you think about gendered labor, but also, like, I think when we think about white women, that understanding of gendered labor doesn't usually leave the house, you know? But mm-hmm. I think for women of color, especially, like, black women and Latinas, like, it does, you know? You think of service workers, um, you kind of expect black and Latinx and, and other brown women to be taking that job. I remember in my Spanish class in seventh grade, maybe, um, our teacher's like, why is it important to be able to speak Spanish? And one kid raised their hand was like, to talk to the cleaning lady. Oh my God. And like, or like to talk to a janitor or whatever. So I think, um, you know, it's just like this this connection that transcends, you know, what we consider in the house versus out of the house, that mm. distinction doesn't really always apply um to like latinas because that and then like imaginary that we also fill those roles which i think yes. is really interesting and also is interesting the way we see ourselves within college spaces where we don't see a ton of latina professors or people in positions of power but we do in um you know within custodial staff and Absolutely. things like that so it's it's definitely interesting how that representation plays out. Absolutely. I also think that most of the kids that I went to high school with who are Brazilian or just um, Hispanic or Latina or whatever, mm-hmm. most of their parents worked in cleaning. Mm-hmm. Most of their parents worked in construction. Most of yeah. their parents had these types of jobs. And I think I remember specifically the Brazilian students like, 90% of the mothers they cleaned houses for mm-hmm. a living and that's what they did and it's like for me to think of the fact that you work cleaning houses all day mm-hmm. and you come home and mm. you have to clean your house because your husband is quote unquote too tired mm. right because he's been working all day poor guy yeah haven't you also been working all day exactly why is it that you're the one cleaning your own house yeah. and then if the mother isn't doing it it usually falls on the the, the daughters mm. right and like i have a friend who she is one girl and there are three boys at her house Oof. and she remembers very clearly having to do all the chores and her three brothers basically split taking out the trash or Again, maybe, taking out the trash. Yeah, right. Like, which is the stupidest chore? Like, yeah. can't you put a trash bag out when you're leaving the house? Like, as you walk Ridiculous. out, you bring up... Whatever. <laughs> um, but also, like, um, cleaning snow, uh, mm. raking leaves or whatever yeah. during the fall, which I don't understand why they couldn't wash the dishes yeah. and she could go you know, shovel snow and yeah. rake the leaves. And I think she was one who, like, really didn't like it and was very vocal about, mm-hmm. you know, I don't want to do this. Like, I'd yeah. rather be outside shoveling snow. And her mom <laughs> was like, absolutely not. You yeah. cook with me and you clean afterwards. Yeah. And, like, the brothers are outside and want it or not, like, shoveling snow and raking leaves is something that you can make fun. 
Yeah. Especially if there's three of you doing it. Yeah. And you're all together. Mm-hmm. And, like, she's over there alone doing something else. Yeah. It just, it doesn't play out very nicely. Yeah, I remember, like, again, because we were three girls, I remember us, like, shoveling snow. And I think it's interesting, like, these conversations because I think it's, like, now that I've started cooking, I do genuinely enjoy it. And I don't mind washing dishes and I don't mind doing chores because I like to, you know, have a clean space and I think it's just the assumption that when you do these things you're locked into this space and that's the only thing you can be or should be is the problem and I think it's no shade or no shame to people who like are comfortable with that role and enjoy that and they find meaning in doing that and I think that's where a lot of like very white feminist thought gets really problematic by assuming that a woman doing housework is a woman oppressed I think it's just what I like am against is the idea that that's the only option that a woman has is right. to fill into that role so I think you know it's important that there's nothing wrong you know with with doing all this but I think the problem is when it's seen as the only thing you can do or should do and right. you're kind of like boxed in like when you feel it's imposed on you mm-hmm. like you don't have another option for sure that's very damaging but it, I think there's just as much value in cleaning a house as there is in being a professor. Like, your professor would not be able to teach you if they had to stay home and clean their own house. And maybe that's just how things play out. But I think there's a space for everyone in the world. Mm -hmm. And, like, you can do whatever you want to do as long as you don't feel the pressure to do that just because you're a woman. Just because you're Latina. And And I think that also goes back to, like, a more racial and class analysis because there was a piece by Audre Lorde. I think it was her the master's tools will never dismantle the master's house when she was talking about like Mm. all you white women are able to be at this conference because you have I think she said like third world women or something like that Mm -hmm. at home cleaning your houses and taking care of your kids so I think it's interesting of like how certain women have been historically excluded from these spaces for doing the housework for women who claim themselves liberated from that and Mm -hmm. you know these feminist scholars or theorists you know but that are just missing that intersectionality in their understanding yeah and i also would love to see the dynamics of these women who consider and say and claim they're so liberated how do you treat the people who work for you you know and i think that's a huge power dynamic that involves gender but goes beyond gender like Mm. if you're if the person cleaning your house is another woman like how are you going to treat her what if she's a black woman Mm. How are you going to treat her differently from, you know, the white cleaning lady? Yeah. Right? Or white passing, whatever. To me, I think that, like, if you're white passing, you can be considered as white in certain settings. So I think that just, like, that difference in treatment and that difference Mm. in seeing maybe you're like, oh, which I have heard before, and I never thought about it in in, like, terms of race, but this could definitely be something that is completely racialized. It's like when a white woman is doing cleaning or janitorial jobs, Mm -hmm. it's like, oh, poor woman. Yeah. You know, she tried so hard. Mm -hmm. She didn't really have an option. This is all she could... And then you see a black woman doing it, and she's like, yeah, this is her place. Like, she came from a poor neighborhood. This is what she knows how to do. This was, Mm -hmm. you know... And just treating people like that. Like, oh, yeah. I want to help you if you're white because, mm. you know, you deserve a better place. But yeah, not if you're black or close to blackness. And it's just, it's, it, ugh. Yeah, <laughs> no, definitely. It, it's, it's just, like, very uncomfortable how, like, I think the talk about gendered labor doesn't get enough 
racial analysis yes. when it comes to that. But Absolutely. I feel like this conversation is super important. But I want to transition yes. to talking about um, the over-sexualization of Latino Absolutely. women and dating and fetishization because I know we have a lot to say about that Ooh. and I want to give it the space it Absolutely. deserves. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> I'm like, you ready? Yes, I'm ready. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> um, I think that... Man... It's a lot. It's I think a lot. to start off, I will definitely say Brazilian women um, in the U.S. and outside of the U.S., many parts of the world that I've been exposed to mm-hmm. are extremely fetishized. We are known for the women with the big booty, mm-hmm. right? Like the samba dancers Even who just are half the naked. Name like the BBL, like Brazilian right. lift. Like it's... Man, <laughs> come on. It's right there. It is there. Also, I think that like assuming that all and i'm gonna go beyond brazilian i'm gonna say all latina women can dance Mm. right um i'm assuming you can dance because you're latina i'm assuming you have a big ass because you're latina i'm assuming you're curvy Mm -hmm. because you're latina so now i'm putting all of these assumptions on your body yeah right and i assume that you have to look good that you aim to look good because Mm. of your ethnicity and i think the fetish fetish fetishization (laughs) i cannot say that word i think fetishizing latino woman stems from the idea that we should and always will have these perfect bodies Mm. um and like i mean if we're going and talking about even like plastic surgery right like most of the procedures that we go to through as latino women are like Uh, augmentation of breasts right Mm -hmm. and then you're increasing the size of your butt you are increasing the size of your lips you're making yourself more sexually appealing Mm -hmm. and not necessarily which my problem with plastic surgery is doing it for how people see you rather than doing it for yourself Mm -hmm. right and I think it's a really fine line sometimes to figure out whether or not which Mm. side you're on and i think it's really interesting of like a lot of those features are traditionally associated with blackness absolutely and how on white women let's take kardashians for example is marketed and you profit off of it and you build an empire off of it versus when it occurs naturally on people especially like black women it's seen it's not seen that way you know what i mean and like this constant appropriation and hypersexualization of these features, which white women benefit off of, and it causes harm. It causes harm for everyone else. I think is just yeah very frustrating. I also think that like we we oftentimes see these things as like part of being beautiful and mm. being sexual, like as a woman. Yeah. But also, if you change where you are, that is seen as a bad thing. So. Yeah. If you go from the TV and you're Mm. a Kardashian and it's great because, first of all, you're white. Yeah. Second of all, you have all the desired features, Mm -hmm. right? But then if you go into the academic world and you have all these desired features, you cannot dress the way you want to dress and still be recognized and acknowledged as a serious... Mm. Uh, scholarly woman yeah and if you're really skinny or on the other side of the spectrum if you're really fat then it's okay it's almost like it's okay for you to wear whatever you want but if your body is considered sexy 
it's too short it's too long yeah. it's too this it's too that and even for fat women i think that it's extremely unreasonable to say they're not allowed to wear short or tight yeah. clothes ever right i think yeah fat phobia in the latinx community especially Huge. for women like i think that could be an episode on its own but right. i think there's a reason that like pretty much all of like me included all of my latina friends we all struggle with like various disordered eating yes. body image issues just because we've been told we need to fit into this picture perfect mm-hmm. understanding of what we're supposed to look like and also food is a really big part of our culture so right. like we're gonna eat mm-hmm. so it's like such a interesting tension and I think, I mean, you know, a lot of people struggle with body image, but I think there's definitely cultural pressures that um, are intersecting there. Yeah, I think, like, family is a mm. big one. I, I remember from a very young age, my family always putting pressure on how I look. Always. And it's not just how my body looks, but, like, how I dress, mm. how I present myself in yeah. certain spaces. Mm-hmm. You know, like, when I was really young, I liked wearing, like, almost like workout like clothes yeah so i wear like really short spandex and just like mini little sports bra it was really hot in brazil yeah i was always out on the street playing when i moved here and i wanted to wear these clothes i was like told not to first of all it's too tight it's too short yeah it's not appropriate for school boys are gonna look at you a certain Mm. way and i'm like why should i care how these people are gonna look at me in brazil i played with boys on the street all the Mm -hmm. time Nobody told me not to wear these clothes. Yep. It was mostly because my mom was like, "Yeah, cool. <laughs> <laughs> like, I know other parents definitely felt uncomfortable with the way yeah. I dressed. Like, I had a really close friend who her mom always commented on the clothes mm. that I was wearing. She was like, why do you wear such short clothes? You're so young. Like, you're going to make yeah. people look at, like, older men are going to look at you weird. Ugh, and I'm so like, disgusting. they should be the ones controlling themselves and yeah. not me fixing how i dress which is cringy yeah why are you looking at a 10 year old exactly thinking sexual thoughts like i'm not the problem you are the problem and i think that still translates into like now i think thinking about dating apps where like you just exist as like being a latina woman and all your sexuality is projected onto you you know like the messages i would get i had to delete them because it was just too much for me but like such like graphic sexual messages would be sent to me out of the blue like no like i do not know these people Mm -hmm. no nothing has been established and just the first message they'll send is just such so so sexual and just such objectification yeah and it's like like, do you talk to everyone like this? Like, no, because I've heard from other friends that they don't get those same type of messages. But my Latina friends and my black friends, we, all of us who are women, get these just, like, disgusting messages. Like, oh, like, the spicy Latina, things like yeah. that. Like, it's just, like, constant. And then it's hard to balance of, I don't want this attention, this mm-hmm. type of attention from men. It makes me feel very uncomfortable and I yes. don't like it. But I also don't want to have to change the way I take up space or present myself or, right. like, feel confident in my body. But knowing that I can't win. Right. Because also, you want to feel sexy. Exactly. Like there should exactly. not be a problem in feeling sexy. Exactly. And presenting yourself as a sexy woman, that should just not be an invitation for, for people to ugh. always treat you sexually. Exactly. And it's just so frustrating that there's this implied sexuality attached to like latina women where we're just seen as available Mm. and just at 
at service, you know, right. for all of your exotic fantasies. And it's just disgusting. And I remember one time I was having a conversation with this white woman and she was, well, I say woman. I don't know how old we were. We were in high school. <laughs> but like, so I guess we were girls at that point. But she's like, yeah, like, I love it when guys call me exotic. Like, I think it's so fun. <clears throat> and I was like arguing with her. I was like, I actually like, like, no, like, it's really uncomfortable. And she's like, like, no, you're just being too sensitive. And I'm like, we're coming from two very different places where, like, for you, it feels like a compliment. For me, it feels like a lifetime of sexualization and yes. just being put in this box of, like, this is how I'm supposed to act, especially with men. So I think it's it's very interesting how people will try to tell you that this hypersexualization is a compliment. It, it's a good thing. You know, it means you're desirable, but they don't understand how it makes you feel so objectified and, yeah. like lose all your agency and your power all of it like yeah. i right now i consider myself a very successful person right like <laughs> as come, you should yeah right like i've gone through life like i'm doing my master's degree yeah. you know which at a really the good percent university. of latinas getting master's degree oh is like single god. digits single oh digits oh my god we yes we, we could talk about that some of the time <laughs> you know um latinas in higher ed almost non-existent but consider myself very Mm -hmm. successful and I I, I love where I am I love my trajectory it was definitely not like the idealized trajectory that my parents wanted but like I think that they are very proud of how far I've come Mm -hmm. but just recently I had a very frustrating interaction with my dad and it was just so backtracking to how much he compliments me on my success that like sometimes now when he compliments me, I don't even feel like it's genuine anymore. Mm-hmm. And like these take big tolls in our relationship. So yeah. recently, um, so about two-ish months ago, I broke up with my boyfriend of five years. Mm-hmm. And I had been really sad for a very long time. You know, it had been almost like a month at that point um, that we had broken up and I was really upset and I was not eating very well. I was feeling really nauseous for a very long time. And Mm -hmm. sorry if people are like somehow triggered by my experience, but I was having a really hard time with food and I lost some weight Mm -hmm. and I was getting dressed for a special occasion and I put on a really tight dress that I had not been able to wear for a while because I didn't fit in it anymore. Mm. (laughs) And I was okay with that. It didn't bother me. Um, I was going to give it away and then I ended up not because my cousin from Brazil was like, oh, I want it. And I was like, cool. So I put it in my closet. But then this day I was like, let me try it on. And I put it on and it's super tight, but it fit. Yeah. And it made me look really curvy and really good. And I was like, ooh, feeling myself. Yes, girl. (laughs) And I was feeling really good and really confident. I go out into the living room. Mom, can you zip me up? My dad looked at me and he said, oh, wow, you look really good in that dress. I think you lost some weight. Mm. And I said, yeah, actually, um, I did. But it's not something I want to talk about because it wasn't very healthy. Mm -hmm. And then... He proceeded to say, well, you know what? I guess I'm glad that you lost some weight because now that you're single, you're really going to need it so that guys can look at you and actually want to be with you. Oh, my God. That's that. I would have cried on the spot. I would have just like crying. (laughs) And then considering that I have a 15-year-old sister who is getting treated for severe eating disorders Mm. in the house listening to this. It's it's so hard. It's so hard. It's a lot. And then it makes me not want compliments from him. And it's like, I, 
love my father, but there is just a million interactions that I wish I could erase from our relationship, mm-hmm. you know, because I was feeling so good. And yeah. immediately after that comment, my reaction was I put on a blazer and I closed the blazer and I didn't want anyone to see. Yeah, I think men all men need to go to therapy in my, oh, yeah. in my opinion. And I think there's so much toxic masculinity within Latinx cultures and machismo and the way men think they have the right to comment on things they mm. definitely shouldn't comment on. And then, all this pressure on them, I think, definitely causes harm. And then it's always the women in their life that are take the brunt right. of that. You know, I remember, especially my freshman year of college, you know, coming to school, excited to meet new people, go out, you know, have fun. And I'd go out and get start talking to men. And all of a sudden, they would just dump all of their trauma on me. Just, like, literally tell me every, like, hard thing they've ever had to deal with in their life. And I'm like... Like, sorry, not your therapist. What is going on here? And I was what? talking to my other friends about it, and it, it's a very, like, common experience they, they get, especially from other, like, Latino guys, of just, like, using you as, like, a therapist and just, like, an emotional, like, mm. outlet because they're not going to talk to their guy friends about it. Right. They're not going to talk to a therapist because it's so stigmatized within Latinx Extremely. communities. And then it's just consistently women who have to do all of this emotional labor to help men figure out their own their own shit and then we have to carry that you right. know it's like i'm sorry you have all this unresolved trauma that you're projecting onto me sharing with me when this is literally the first night i've met you mm-hmm. like I, we're not friends this is not a conversation between friends which i'm always down to like you know right. be a listening ear and whatever but it's just like this pattern of this ex- extreme toxic masculinity within like latinidad and just women consistently taking taking the brunt of it, whether that be physical or emotional, it's just it's just constant. And I think yeah. it's frustrating because like when a guy when you're flirting with a man or like whatever, like you all of a sudden you're the, the therapist? Like like what is going on? And you know what? It doesn't end there. Because yeah. it starts very poorly where the first encounter they think they're you're the therapist or that you right. should do the job of the therapist, which they're not willing to look for. Exactly. Right? And then you date these men mm. and you continue to be that person. And then you marry these men. <laughs> and then you have people like my mom and my dad. And after my father said something like that, my mom's immediate reaction was to say, please stop. Right? Yeah. Like, I don't talk say about things my mom like with, that. I was talking to my mom about it and she goes, it never gets better. I yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> and then I talked to my mom later and I was like, that was really unnecessary and like, yeah. personally I was slightly affected by it but not really mm-hmm. I moved on pretty quickly I'm yeah. happy with myself and I was like I'm not gonna let that affect me but I have a 15 year old sister who yeah. t- struggles with yeah. weight loss and she uh-huh. struggles with um having a good relationship with food and her mm-hmm. body yeah. and she was listening to this and I yeah. told my mom I was like I'm really sorry but this needs to be a conversation where he's a part of. Yeah. That it's not okay mm. to say these things. And it's not just because my sister is struggling. It's because it's not okay to say it. Yeah. And his immediate reaction to that was my mom was like, okay, stop. Do not say anything else. Yeah. He was like, everybody in this house is against me. Oh, my Everybody God. in this house thinks I can't voice my opinion. It's so frustrating. Man, seriously, just take the hint and stop talking. Mm. You know? And then I feel bad because my mom feels the emotional burden of sitting down, 
having a conversation with him, explaining why it's wrong, Mm. explaining why he shouldn't say that anymore. When in reality, he has all the resources to just get a therapist. Exactly. You know what I mean? And go talk to them. And handle it. And it's just so frustrating because it's this weird feeling of like hyper desirability when it comes to being like a sexual object or like let me throw all my issues at you but when it comes to like real respect Mm. and romance and healthy relationships it feels like that desire isn't coming from anyone right especially at a pwi where especially you know latino men black men always checking for white women yep and we'll do that but then use you to deal with all their emotional issues. Mm. And then it's like, who, like, what is going on here? There's a disconnect. Like, and especially, especially for darker-skinned Latina women and black women and Afro-Latinas, mm-hmm. like, it's even more intense, just, like, the colorism in the community and the Absolutely. way men are just disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> and the fact that our families incentivize us yeah. to always date someone who is lighter mm-hmm. because they're like, no, like, don't bring more problems into yeah. and That's super problematic. Yeah. Oh, why should yeah. I have to? Exactly. It's so just like terrible. And in the way that, again, women just have to take that and internalize that because mm-hmm. we don't have the space always to like question that. Right. And it's just so it's just so damaging in so many ways. And it, I think it's all always like in the back of my mind, mm-hmm. thinking like, am I when I'm dating this person or when I'm with someone? And I, I'm not even gonna say person when I'm dating this guy because if it's a yeah. girl, oftentimes it's not really in the back of my mind. Yeah. But like, if I'm dating a guy or if I'm going out with a guy, I'm meeting someone. It's always in the back of my head. Are they fetishizing me? Yeah. Right. Always. Are they thinking of me as this exotic Brazilian woman that they're yeah. now finally able to be with? Right. Like <sighs> they're step into this like yeah fantasy mm. of being with a latina of being with a spicy woman yeah. or whatever and like it's really damaging to have that in the back of your head when mm. you're dating any guy and it's just like frustrating because i don't know how to like ask that quite like yeah and, and i also, also don't like, think they know and it's not unfounded you know and we talked about i know we talked about like the racial contract in the last episode where there's this history of dehumanization and you know removing personhood from people and when you bring in power dynamics and sexuality into that it still maps out on the same issues you know i've had friends always like i'm not going to let a man colonize my body specifically talking to about dating white men and you know these these patterns of like conquest and 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 you know domination like they don't erase themselves when it comes to like intimate relationships those power dynamics are still there and they still map out on the way we think and you know even if not every guy is coming to it with that approach like you can't just erase that that history and you know that knowing deep down like somewhere in your body that this is a possibility so you're always aware of it right and i think that it's like a lot worse when you are a darker skinned latina and Mm -hmm. if you're afro latina or something like that i think they they definitely feel it much more than we do exactly exactly like because the hypersexualization of black bodies is so much more intense and like we aim for big butts we aim for big lips but only if it's on someone light-skinned yes right but these things they stem from African yeah. descent, exactly. right? Like, exactly. if we have these features, it is because of slavery, yeah. because they were brought into Latin America, mm-hmm. you know, and they were mixed into the population, and then we ended up with these features mm-hmm. that now we only see as positive on lighter-skinned women. Yeah. And I personally feel 
very weird about it because yeah. sometimes I'm like, yes, love my body. And then sometimes I'm like, damn, but these guys are going to compliment me on the features that black women have and then shame black women for the same features. Yeah. And that just feels shitty. Like I feel that way a lot about my hair, you know? I have yes. tight curly hair, not kinky hair, you know, still very curly. and But on me, it's presented as, oh my God, you have such beautiful hair, very mm. desirable. Of course, I still get oh, can I touch it? Like, people asking me, is it heavy? You know, weird things like that. (laughs) But on me, it is, you know, seen as a much more acceptable feature versus on black women. And I think those are really important, you know, conversations of, like, these features will be you pick and choose when right. when when they're when they're beautiful when, when they're, they're desirable yeah and absolutely it's, just, it's 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 there's just so many layers of of harm and insecurity and navigating what you want to look like what you're supposed to look like and navigating those two dichotomies and breaking away from that mm. entirely and just learning to love yourself right. but then in that journey of self-love being treated like an object and it's just an exhausting cycle it is so exhausting and i think the media does a great job of pretending oh my god (laughs) (laughs) ironically but you know the latina woman we mentioned this before that we see on the media mostly light-skinned most of the time they have wavy yeah very questionably yeah questionably wavy hair yeah right like in even if they do not have naturally wavy hair that's the way they present most places Mm. um and these like desired bodies right with all these features and they're desirable on them but not if you put an afro latina instead of her now all of a sudden it's not no longer desirable in the media as well so problematic all around very hard to deal with i think that's like taken me years of therapy to be like like, (laughs) highly recommend therapy everybody (laughs) go do it this episode is just i'm like sponsored by (laughs) not actually therapeutic services just kidding (laughs) just kidding no one sue (laughs) but yeah um anyways i think that'll be it for this one wrapping up and i think I don't know, I'm trying to leave us on a lighter note. I think just, you know, surrounding yourself with people that love you for you kind of helps combat these negative messages. And knowing that how you experience womanhood or understand yourself as a woman is something that's very individual and you should have power and control over. Yes. Surround yourself with beautiful people. Do not dump on them get a therapist instead (laughs) again (laughs) highly recommend get a therapist all right see you next time see you next time